If you want to open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. And if you're able to write this down or have a good memory, Ephesians chapter 1, Revelation chapter 13, Psalm chapter 33, and Revelation chapter 21. Luke chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, Psalm 33, Revelation chapter 21. How many times in the last few days has someone asked you how Thanksgiving was? You know, and then, you know, I mean, did any of us were like, oh, it was not that good, honestly. You know, this is a standard polite question. How was Thanksgiving? You give a standard polite response. It was great. And then maybe a few specifics about food. And we'll do the same thing with Christmas. Uh, if you celebrate a birthday, anniversary, uh, and we know that uh, about each other, then we'll ask, how was fill in the blank? And uh, I've been thinking uh, about uh, that this week. You know, what, what is a good time at Thanksgiving? What is a good time at Christmas? Uh, how do you know that you've celebrated your anniversary well? Uh, I think there are three things that you do at that dinner. Um, you... Talk about the past. Somebody's always telling the ancient stories. Uh, and if you're, uh, you know, weren't around during that story, you feel kind of excluded, like you're not in the inner sanctum of the family. Uh, there are the ancient stories. Then you talk about what's happening now in each other's lives. I mean, think about how awkward it would be if you only told those ancient stories and nobody was able to share, here's what's going on and here's what I'm up to. And then God willing, it's a good celebration if you're able to have something about the future. Meaning, I think we're all going to like one another at this time next year. And so we look forward to gathering together again. Or at Thanksgiving, you're, you're often able to say, hey, we'll see you in a month because we're going to do all of this over again at Christmas. Those three ingredients. You talk about the past, you talk about the present, and you're able to talk about the future. We've come into this Advent season, and I think that we are tempted to mostly only see Advent as talking about something that has happened in the past. Jesus has come in the past, uh, was about 4 BC, give or take a few years, when Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem. Right? But if we only talk about Christ's birth as something that's happened in the past, then Advent won't carry the meaning that God would have it to bear in our lives. We're going to talk about the present. We're going to talk about how God, through Christ, by the power of the Spirit living inside of us, is making a difference in our lives right now. And then we're going to talk about the future. We're going to spend most of our time these next four Sundays in Luke chapters 1 and 2. Just so we're all caught up before we get to verse 26, God has sent the angel Gabriel to a couple. Now you might be thinking it's Mary and Joseph, but it, it's not. It's Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he's given them the news, particularly to Zechariah, who's ministering in the temple, that they are going to have a baby. Now this would not have been a big deal years and years before this moment, but now they're uh, older and they're not physically able to have children, or at least they, they thought that was the case. But God has sent the angel to say, you are going to have a son and you're going to name him John and he is going to be the prophet that comes before the Messiah. So then we pick up in verse 26 where Gabriel has another assignment. Let's read it. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. There are a couple of things that I want to point out about this brief passage this morning. If you were going to write some things down, we'd start by writing down. In this passage, we see the eternal plan of God. The eternal plan of God. In the 1960s, Bill Bright, who was the leader of Campus Crusade for Christ, you may have heard that, uh, wrote a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. Uh, It's a brilliant little book and summary of the gospel. In fact, some of us may have learned Christ by reading that little booklet. And the opening line is, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's true. God does love you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. But I think if we hear that over and over and over again in our lifetime, and you definitely have heard the phrase, even if you didn't know where it came from, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. We might think of it in the way that I viewed my trip to my academic advisor in college. Every semester before registering for the next semester's class, I would go into his office. Dr. Blair was a wonderful professor and I loved him very much. He was one of those uh, people that had a great combination of honor. honoriness and godliness. You know, those people, they're, they're, they're unique. Uh, that's a hard balance to, to, to live out. And so I would go and, and visit him and I would show him, here are the classes that I'm planning on taking next semester. And he would pull out uh, my graduation plan, the, the classes that I needed, the credits that I needed to, to actually graduate. And we would compare the two before I registered. And what's interesting is after my appointment with him, there would always be another student waiting in the hall and they would have their appointment. And then there would be another student waiting and they would have their appointment. And so when we think that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, it's easy to think that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. And he has a wonderful plan for the life of the person sitting next to me and next to me and next to me and next to me and next to me. And maybe that's God's primary job. I mean, we can already just think about how many wonderful plans he has to design for the people in this room as he designs wonderful plans for our lives. But think about how does he bring all of those things together? Because God has a wonderful plan, period. God also has a wonderful plan for your life, but that's the second sentence after the first sentence. God has a wonderful plan, and, and we see that plan here in Luke chapter 1. And what's interesting about the wonderful plan that God has is it started before Mary and Joseph, and it started before you, and it even started before Adam and Eve. In Ephesians chapter 1, one of those places that I mentioned earlier, the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. What I love about Ephesians chapter one is it's this amazing combination of good things for us and the sovereign will of God. He says that we've been chosen to be in God's family. We were adopted. We were picked to be in God's family. But that happened not after we tried out for God's family, not after we proved ourselves worthy, but before the creation of the world, we were chosen. We received forgiveness. We received redemption. But we were predestined for this, it, it says there. And all of this is according to the mystery of God's will. I mean, if you want something to think about over lunch, Think about this. God has a sovereign plan. He is in control of everything. And yet you chose that shirt you're wearing right now. Or some of you, your wife chose it for you. But I mean, think about how God is organizing all of this. And yet for almost 99.9% of all the decisions that we've made, we just made them. It's the mystery of his will that he revealed. To the praise of his glorious grace because God has a wonderful plan. Period. Even in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8, it says about Jesus that he was the lamb slain before the creation of the world. We often think of the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as a response to sin in us and in the world. But Jesus was the lamb slain, chosen by God before the world was even created. Because of what Psalm 33 verse 11 says. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. God has a wonderful plan. And that plan is being enacted in every single generation. And we see it here in Luke chapter 1 when Gabriel visits Mary. Verse 31, the angel says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now even the name was the revelation of God's plan. The name Jesus was a very common name. It would be like Chris or Josh uh, or I can't think of any more common names, but you know what I mean. Uh, Jesus was not the only Jesus in first century Israel. He may not have even been the only Jesus in his small village of Nazareth. But the name Jesus means God saves. So even the name chosen for him is a revelation of God's eternal plan. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now, that may not mean a lot to us, but it definitely meant a lot to Mary. Because back in 2 Samuel, God had promised King David, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel forever. Now, what's interesting is if you read 2 Samuel chapter 7, you see that. And then chapter 8, chapter 9, transition into 1 Kings, uh, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. You, you see that 
That's not exactly what happens. Solomon was what we relate to a a, a combination of uh, goodness and pure-heartedness and um, evil. And because of his evil, the, the kingdom of Israel split. And after it split, they weren't even ruled by Israelites anymore. Babylon comes, Assyria comes. So when Gabriel comes to Mary here in 4 BC, there is no throne in Israel the throne of Israel is actually in Rome. Caesar is king of Israel, not a descendant of David. So when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, this child that you are going to have, he's going to inherit. God is going to give him the throne of his father, David. It meant God fulfilling his promise to David way back In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 33, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. In history, you've, you know this if you've, you've studied it and you have, when one kingdom uh, would be taken over by another kingdom, even if it was just a peaceful rule, uh, meaning if it was just a son or, uh, you know, or a grandson or a nephew, even inside the family, often what would happen is the, the administration will be, would be swept out and then they would start over. Um, and so you have this, this transition happening. And then if it was an enemy king or, or somebody that wasn't in the family and you were related to the previous king, you, you might die just because you were related to the previous king. There was a constant turnover of administration, even among peaceful transitions. Right? But God is saying through Gabriel to Mary, I'm going to give the throne to your son And then he's going to reign forever and his government, his administration, his kingdom is not going to have an end. His kingdom is not going to be swept out and replaced. It's going to keep on going and going and going. God's eternal plan. And all of this happened before the creation of the world. But it's not over yet. Revelation chapter 21. We see what's ahead. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children." So just like Thanksgiving, with the coming of Christ, there's the past, there's the present, and there's a future. There is a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Jesus, after Bethlehem, grows up, grows in favor with God and man, begins his ministry at about the age of 30, preaching about the kingdom of God demonstrating its power and its goodness, offers his life as a sacrifice, resurrected three days, ascended into heaven, and one day returning. 
God's eternal plan. And we're in the middle of it. God's plan is not over. God's plan is not past. We're, we're living right in the middle of the plan of God. And our responsibility now is to make people aware. We are living in the middle of the eternal plan of God. Jesus has come. His sacrifice is sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. Available to all. Come into his family. I'm a big Christmas light guy. Uh, I started weeks ago. And every Saturday I add more lights. I'm not a classy Christmas lights person. You know the people with the white and the green. That's not me. I'm whatever we got in the garage kind of guy. So there's no scheme. There's no I don't draw it out. Uh, And uh, Amanda told me a couple of days ago, she said, you know, I, I think there's something at work uh, inside of you because as our neighbors begin to put their Christmas lights up, you just keep putting more up. So whenever somebody adds something to their house, you subconsciously, I think, go and, and, and I did that yesterday. It's true. You know, I'm broken on the inside, right? <laughs> So you turn the corner to our house, like you can, you can see what house we are, right? And we put up Christmas lights because we're, we're making people aware, hey, it's Christmas, we're, we're celebrating, right? That's why it bothers you when stores start putting that stuff up in October, because they're saying Christmas is here, and you're like, no, Christmas is not here. Halloween is not here yet. Thanksgiving is not here yet. Christmas is definitely not here. But that's the signal. Hey, be aware, Christmas is here. We're in the middle of the plan of God right now. Some has happened. A lot is yet to happen. Our job inside is to make people aware. That's why Jesus called us the light of the world. Hey, we are lit up to let people know this is the gospel. Christ is here. Christ is coming. Christ is available to to all. We're, We're not just celebrating something that has happened. Mary was invited in to something that is still happening. We see the eternal plan of God. Second thing I want you to write down, we see the very good plan of Mary. The very good plan of Mary. Verse 27, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Mary had a plan. Her plan was not all that unique. Uh, It was probably a pretty common plan for young women around first century Israel. She was going to be married in her late teens or early 20s, hopefully to a righteous man because she was a righteous woman. And that was part of her plan, to be a righteous woman, to be married to Joseph, to eventually have a, a family of her own in which her family of her own, her children, would then become a part of their greater extended family, which was very important. And she would be a very important person inside that family, of which their extended family would be a very important part of their community. That was probably her plan. And here in this story, we see the face-to-face meeting of the eternal plan of God and the very good plan of Mary. And I bet you have a very good plan for your life. Most of our plans are the same. Not all that different from Mary's plan. You have a plan for the kind of person that you want to be. 
New Year's is coming after Christmas and a bunch of us are going to spend more money than we should trying to become a better person than we are now, a better employee, a more organized person. This is going to be the year that you declutter. Uh, You have plans for the kind of person that you want to be. I bet you have a plan for uh, your love life. We can bring that up. Uh, If you're married, that it would continue to be a loving marriage. Uh, If you're not married yet, I I bet you have a plan. Not that you're in a hurry to get there necessarily, but I bet you have a plan. You have a vision. Uh, I bet you have a plan for your family. If you're a parent, you definitely got plans for your kids. You try not to push those plans on them. You try to trick them into living out your plan without them knowing the secret. We have plans for our careers. And what's interesting is you can find in the scripture God blessing all of those things. Because it's a very good plan. I think often we think and preachers like me are the fault that if if we have goals, if we have desires in our heart, that there's something wrong with that. But Mary's plan was a good plan. But Mary's plan was yielded to God's eternal plan. And that's the trick. The dangerous part for us is when we would say, my plan at all costs. That's what the rich young ruler does. He comes to Jesus because he has a plan for himself. He has a plan for his person. He wants to be a righteous person. He wants to enter into eternal life. And so he comes to Jesus. You remember the story in the Gospels and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I got a plan. I got a New Year's resolution. I want to be the best person I could possibly be. And Jesus tells him what to do. Um, Obey the commandments. Already done that. That's part of the plan. I knew that. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. That was not a part of his plan. But something in him said, my plan at all costs. And so the scripture says that he walks away from Jesus disappointed. So what should we do? How how can we respond like Mary when the eternal plan of God, his purposes through every generation, and my plan, my very good plan for my life come face to face? couple of things that we can do to follow Mary. Number one, we can understand the relationship between God's favor and responsibility. Twice, Gabriel refers to her as favored by God. The angel said to her and said, greetings. The angel went to her and said, greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary is troubled by that response from the angel. So the angel says to her again, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And all of us want the favor of God. Many of us don't call it that. We want the help of God. We want the blessing of God. Most of our prayers are asking for the favor of God. Again, we don't say it like that, but God, will you help me with this? Will you be with me in this? Will you work this thing out for me? But throughout the scripture, there's this interesting thing. Here the angel says, God is with you. You're favored, God is with you. Whenever God says in the, the scripture that he is with you, you better watch out. He is getting ready to ask you to do something that you probably would not have volunteered for. He says it to Moses through the burning bush. God will be with you. So I want you to go and confront Pharaoh and say, hey, let all this free labor go. But God is with you. He says it to Joshua right before 
Joshua has to confront the people of Jericho and God gives him the plan and the plan is not military might, it's uh, music and walking and then some yelling. Gideon, the same thing. Gideon is hiding out from the Midianites and an angel appears to Gideon and says, God is with you and God is going to use you to deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Midianites. But you're not going to do it with weapons or military strength. I want you to light some candles and put a jar over it and then yell really loud. Oh, and oh, by the way, we're going to send you in um, with just a few people and not thousands like you're anticipating. Because there is this tie between God is with you and God is partnering with you. We all read the book of Acts and think, I want to live in those miracles. There's this, my dream is to be in a room that when we're praying with such fervency, the building shakes. Because that happens early in Acts. I just think that would be phenomenal, right? There are healings in there. There's even one time the Apostle Paul is just walking and people are just being healed as, as, as he walks by. Just, just these incredible stories. I mean, wouldn't that be, I mean, that sounds so much more exciting than what we're doing right now, right? Uh, church for us is like lectures and songs. That's not, that's just not the same. But, but here's the difference. These Christians are just, they're just constantly living out the eternal plan of God. Like they're taking seriously, I'm in the middle of it. And my responsibility in the middle of it is to be the light of the world and tell people there is an eternal plan of God and you are invited into it. And so they're constantly doing that. Some of us, by purpose or accident, have tried to sever the relationship between the favor of God and the responsibility that God gives out. So I only want his favor. I only want his blessing. I only want his help. But I'm too busy or I'm too overwhelmed. I'm too stressed. I've got too many things going on to really be an active part of that plan. I want the benefits of the plan, but I don't want to be a part of it myself. But we see in Mary, there's this, you got to raise your hand for both. If you want the favor of God, the help of God, the blessing of God, you have to be saying, willing to say, I'll do whatever. To, to, to just ask for the, the help and the blessing is selfish. That's my plan at all costs. And Mary understood the relationship. Number two, if we want to respond like Mary, we need to be careful with our questions. She asked Gabriel a question. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. It's a good question. I don't know if you've had that health class yet, but it's a good question. (laughs) And Gabriel answers her. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I mentioned Zechariah before. He's the father of John the Baptist, he asked a question too when Gabriel came to him in verse 19. The angel said to him, or excuse me, verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. This is a good husband, by the way. Men, listen up. He says, I am old, but my wife is just well along in years. That's it. (laughs) 
Gabriel said, you're going to have a son and he's going to be a prophet for the Messiah to come. And he asked a question. Huh? How can that happen? I'm old. She is getting older. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So Mary asks the question, Gabriel answers. Power of God is going to come over you. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Zachariah asks a question. Really the same question. How is she going to get pregnant? We are beyond that time. And the angel says, I want you to shut up so bad. You're not going to be able to talk until all of this is done. <laughs> and that's what happens. It, it, when they give him the name, John, is when Zachariah is able to talk again. So why a simple answer for Mary, but a discipline for Zachariah? The angel says, it's because you didn't believe me. There is, there is, it's okay to ask God questions if you want clarity to help you obey. And that's Mary's question. Listen, I'm all in. Help me understand the finer points of how I'm going to get pregnant with, you know, and still be a virgin. But I'm going to obey. That's finished. There is a way to ask God questions which essentially is, I am looking for an excuse to not obey. Because what Zechariah is saying really is, this is crazy and impossible. Now, granted, an angel has come to deliver him this message. But he's like, no, that's not practical. There's no way that's going to happen, so I'm off the hook. And... I fall into this trap. It's so unlikely that my neighbors would ever come to church with me. I'm not even going to bother asking. It's so unlikely that God would ever provide for me all of the money that I need. There's no way that I can give a percentage back to the church. It's just not practical. There's no way that God can multiply my time and I can still get all the things that I need to get done done. Um, so I can't offer my time to somebody who needs help or to the church or whatever. It's just not practical. So we need to be careful of the questions that we ask God. Right? Because there are questions that help give us clarity so that we can obey. And God gladly answers those. But he sees through our fake questions. Our thinly veiled excuses to let ourselves off the hook. And finally, number three, we want to cultivate everyday humility. I think that if there's one thing we learn about Mary in Luke's account is that she was a humble person. I mean, even the way that she responds to God in the passage we'll read next week. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. If you go on and read her song, it's just like, this is crazy. Uh, how, how would God choose me? I, I'm a nobody. I, I'm, I, this is just unbelievable. Right? She lived with an everyday humility. Right? And that humility is important. Because look even, after all these years, the scripture is being written. Look in verse 26. And I want you to notice how many, if you have a Bible, look at it with me. 
I want you to notice how many proper nouns there are before we get to Mary's name. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God, that's okay, that can be in there, sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. I mean, even David gets a shout out before we get to the virgin's name was Mary. So even in her own story, she doesn't get top billing. All these people listed before her, which I think she probably was okay with because she had an everyday humility. I am the Lord's servant. It's not about me. I don't need to be at the top of any list. I'm willing to do whatever God would ask me to do. My very good plan yielded to God's eternal plan. You know, some people are able to cultivate a garden or flowers. You know, there are kind of two kinds of people. There are people who have to go and buy new flowers every spring. And there are the people who can keep those flowers alive all year long. You know, those people, their, their yard just sort of blooms in the spring. And then there are those of us who are picking up the cheapest flowers possible at Lowe's every March, right? right? One is able to cultivate and, and the other is just a last minute decision. Anybody can dig a hole and put that thing in the ground, right? And I think we treat humility like that. We all want humility because it can get us things in life, but we want to wear it like a coat of paint. Well, let me just slap on humility really quickly because I feel like I might need it right now. But Mary's humility came out of her heart. Mary wasn't just humble the day that the angel Gabriel appeared to her. She was humble the day before that, and the day before that, and the day before that. And the reason that you and I need to cultivate humility is because you have a very good plan. Plan for yourself, plan for your family, plan for your career. And God wants to bless that plan. God can make that plan a part of his plan. That's what happens to Mary. Did you notice? Mary gets to do all the things that she probably wanted to do. She gets married. She has a family. She was an important part of a community. In the beginning of Acts, whenever the church is gathered, Mary is there. Could not be more important to that early Jesus-following community. But her plan got swept up into the eternal plan of God. And that can happen with yours. It's different than what she expected. There was a greater cost. There were some things that she had to sacrifice. But we know from the scripture that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So if you and I have sowed seeds of pride inside of our plan, God will oppose it instead of bless it. God will oppose it instead of using it. We got to cultivate everyday humility. And then look how she finishes. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I love it how one translation of the scripture says it. She says, may it be done to me according to your word. What do I do when my very good plan and the eternal plan of God come face to face. We say what Mary said. 
in our words, not my plan, but your plan be done. Let's pray.